Welcome to the Future Hero Podcast. My name is Baxter. Thank you for pressing play. This music today is provided by, or this song is In the Branches by Shane Cody. We're going to follow this up with a different artist called Subaqueous. We've used him before, and I've got his brand new release, and it's awesome. It might seem a little unconventional, but if you can, wherever you are, if you can do so, I'd like you to take a a big, maybe even audible breath in, hold it, wrap it around your heart a little bit, and then release that breath. We'll do it now. Audible breath in. Audible breath out. One more audible breath in. Audible breath out. This track is called Finding Peace, and it's off his, uh, Shane's, In the Branches. It's off their brand new release as well. It's uh, kind of meant to be sleep-inducing, and it's just a beautiful track. And this one's called Finding Peace. Finding peace is exactly what a lot of us need to do today. (laughs) I woke up uh, to four messages in my inbox from friends and listeners asking me if I would do, if I was planning to do a podcast on the election. And Truthfully, these four people were grieving the news. And to be honest, it's all I can think about, so I don't mind speaking to it. But I always open this podcast with, you know, I come in peace, and I, and I really do. And so I want to reach out to any listeners, maybe it's all of you, I want to reach out and let you know that I, and I mean this, that my inner work on myself, my spiritual journey, is to love you no matter who you vote for. In fact, I'm supposed to love you no matter how much you disagree with me. And so even if you voted for the person that is the source of my grief today, I still want to love you in an altruistic, capital L type way. And clearly, I have met some of you, and I had no idea, and we had a great time, and I think we should hold on to that. Because... Although I used to feel differently, I'm not so sure the candidates represent our souls, our essential, unique selves. And you won, fair and square. Or at least it seems that way, and I assume that it is. 
And I believe in the system. I don't necessarily believe in the one that we have, but I believe in the one that could flower out of what we have right now. And in that system, there's rules, and the rules are you guys won. So peace be with you, and I would love to stand with you as an American again. And both of us observe and make sure of what we're supporting and of what we're resisting. To everybody else. Oh my gosh, I feel your pain. <laughs> uh, it's one thing to be civil, it's another thing to be real and they're not mutually exclusive, but really, I am bombing for so many reasons. I mean, the least of which is that I actually was pulling for Donald Trump in the, prime, the Republican primaries because I thought he gave a socialist Democrat the best chance of winning the White House. And if that prize could not be had, then probably the most qualified person, let alone woman, to ever run for office would be elected. And so I've been walking around in a big, fat room of be careful what you wish for today. And as I saw the election returns coming in on the TV, we regrettably went out to watch it because we thought it was going to be a celebration. <laughs> and the despair. And I went to bed with that despair, and I woke up with that despair. And when I was thinking about what to do for this podcast, my beautiful girlfriend said to me, well, what would your future hero say? What would your future hero say? And when she said that, it changed my focus from my pain, <laughs> honestly, real physical pain, to my hope, to that sense of future. And it made me realize that one, there was going to be a future, and that two, that this was the future that I didn't chose, but chose me, and that my future hero clearly has survived this. This isn't a past life. This is from the future of my life. And when she said that, it reminded me that I'm going to get past this. <laughs> that we are going to get past this. That this is not as crazy of a first as we think, no matter how much it hurts right now, that we're going to get past this because we have to get past this.
And so, I think you should try it. I think you should ask yourself while we listen to brand new Subaqueous, which I'll talk about later. I love this album. But I want you to see, especially for those of you that are hurting today, I want you to ask or try to consult over the next couple of breaths. What would your future hero have to say? He was one of the first people that let me use his music. And with no disrespect to everything I've heard him do before, you can hear his progression as an artist. And Isaac, it's just tight, man. I love where you're going and keep going, bro. So, I want to make clear that I definitely think that we, for those of us that are hurting through this, even if Trump was your guy and just the election hurt you, (laughs) I think that it's good for us to hold a space of grieving. I'm really into setting intentional, but also terminal stages of grieving. And what I mean, I don't mean terminal, like killing you. But I mean that there's a beginning and an end to the grieving, even if it's an artificial deadline. And it doesn't mean that the grieving is over. It doesn't mean that the sadness is over. It means that you, the space that you're giving it that's interrupting your normal life is going to close. That that, that there's going to be, so like today might be, you know, like for this, something like this, especially if you worked on the campaign, your grieving phase may need to last a week. But I don't think it needs to get too long. We need to remember this isn't a loved one that died. We should keep everything in perspective here. This is a big country with a big government. One man is not going to ruin everything overnight. And we need to keep some sense of perspective and scale on this. And so by limiting the space of that grieving it helps us kind of keep sense of a scale like okay you know i'm going to just hang out here in my grieving space for four days but it ends in four days and i re-emerge to you know hopefully having processed some of this and that's what's so important about the grieving process the grieving space is that it really allows us to process and you know, with no disrespect, I think like when you don't process the things that happen in your life, you become Trump. And sometimes when we don't process our grief, we become very irritable, very unsatisfied, kind of a burden sometimes even. So we give ourselves some space on this. Take some couple deep breaths in. And then we turn our attention to the positive.
right? I love it. This album is called Slipstream. It's brand new. He's on Bandcamp. Go buy music. People, if you want to keep music going, if you want to give people the opportunity to only make music in their life, and that's the best chance they have of making their best music, then go buy an album. At the end of that grieving period, and maybe all the way through it, and as you process, there's going to need to be a, uh, a mandate, not to use politics talk, but there's going to be, need to be a mandate of acceptance. I think that it is dangerous and just ineffective to spend too much time attacking what just happened constructing conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff. If evidence shows up, I think we're all in. We want to see it. But to hold out some hope that last night didn't happen, that there's some smoking gun somewhere, there's an email file somewhere that will put make everything right with the world, well, outside of being delusional, it's just a false sense of hope. And we need to look for real senses of hope, like the things you can do. I think because the, both campaigns chose a strategy of voting for the people and firstly, and maybe voting for their ideas secondly or thirdly, I would say that maybe attitude might have been even a more important voting pull than actual ideas. And so the campaigns through their rhetoric from both sides asked us to get to know them as people. And clearly, we are going to favor our candidate. And if we're being appealed to emotionally, it's going to become more and more of an emotional bond. And in politics, that creates a lot of combustibility. Because it becomes like your best friend is fighting someone else's best friend. And so I think that's where a lot of the heat's coming from. This is because for those of us that felt like we got to know Donald Trump, we were really scared that 40 million people supported this guy. It turned out to be even more than that. And we saw in him all of these detestable qualities and true to form we saw the qualities in him because none of us know him personally we saw the qualities in him that we didn't like that were qualities that we either have rooted out of ourselves are dealing with ourselves or had someone close to us in our upbringing that had the same characteristic 
That is to say that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton as public figures helped us see ourselves because of what we saw in them, which is completely based on our perception. So it's informing our perception. And that's given us some understanding of what we like. And maybe in the case of Trump, what we don't like. And that's where all the anger comes from. But that's also where the work starts. Because we look at, like, what was it about Trump that made us mad? That he was stereotyping people? That he was saying things that most of us regard as sexist or misogynistic or even racist? I think what bothered so many of us about Trump was not that we thought he was overtly racist, but that he was that sort of polite, subtly racist. Like, let's talk about basketball when the tall black guy walks in the room. This sort of microaggression-y racist. And I think there were many people that felt like it was a dangerous relic from the past to put in the most important office following the first ceiling breaker, President Barack Obama. But the thing is, is that trying to change Donald Trump gives away my power. I'm in a grieving place. I'm trying to listen to the answer of my future hero self. And so I see those qualities in him. I realize the ones I don't like especially. I realize that I don't want to harbor those within me. And I realize that reality is made by our actions. And so I want to make a reality that I am not that thing that I detest. So I want to be extra sure that I'm not stereotyping, that I'm not putting someone in some kind of social folder based on the way they are dressed or how much money they make. And then by thinking that, I I bring that not Donald (laughs) into the world as me, but also as, as vision, right? Because our actions done following the purpose reflect our vision. So I see the qualities in Donald I don't like. I make sure that they're not harbored in me anywhere. Or if they are, that I'm not listening to them. Beyond being aware of them. And then I go out to the very thing that is not that thing I detest. Or for instance, if there's a... We could look at this the other way. We're looking at it from how villains can illuminate us, but our heroes. You know, our heroes, what is it about them? One of my heroes as a kid was this guy named Paul Wellstone. He kind of died tragically. And... He, I could get into just watching him on C-SPAN. I wasn't really that big a dork or a nerd, but I, I would, could watch this guy speak on 
And he he sounded like he would just explain stuff like he was just the foreman on a construction site, like taking a break to explain it to you. Not that he was simple. He was very smart, but he just had this like real worldness about him. And he was really that sort of like classic sort of liberal politician, you know, people's interest first. And he was a hero. But I really believe this about heroes, that they... The glimmer of a hero is the light of love reflecting off of them and being processed by a receptor that only we have. Meaning that light hits a million things, but those million things interpret that light differently. And then when we see a hero or even a villain on the converse, but when we see a hero and we see the things that we admire in them, the receptor of those qualities is what picks up on that light. So that like when you see, if you have a social hero, you have someone who's like always there and he's knowledgeable, It's an unfed quality in you, if that makes sense. It's a seed. You recognize it, you see it. And you might think you want it because you don't have it, but you want it because it's neglected and inside of you. So either way, from the villain, or from the hero, whether they're candidates or other people, We're informed of who we are. And of course, that knowing who we are helps us rudder this ship a little bit better. tell you something funny <laughs> as I've told you guys before I read a lot of current events and I read like everybody else that it was pretty much in the bag and I don't think that I've ever been more confident in the last few days of an election as I was about this election that Hillary would win And so I started writing a podcast about how to win with grace. (laughs) And I was so, like, caught up. And I don't know if it was ego. I really don't think it was. But I, and I'll tell you, explain a little bit more. But I had this whole thing about how we were going to have to reach across and hug a Trump supporter and like sort of say good game take off our helmets and like let's go back to just being normal people again and I was really feeling and digging this message (laughs) and I wasn't sure like when to release it and so I thought you know I'm just gonna chill on this and uh, maybe just 
you know, maybe now people are too busy, they're planning parties, celebration parties or whatever. <laughs> and so you can imagine, I feel so grateful that I didn't post that because probably everybody would be thinking that I was celebrating what I'm actually grieving. But I remember when I was making that podcast, it really was me trying to respond to something that I'm seeing in my social media, and I bet you are too, where the level of energy that people are bringing to some of this political talk is just unmatched by the significance of what they're talking about. What I mean by that is that they're just coming in with everything they got, like they're lashing out without really any provocation at all. And it's been going on since the primaries on both sides. I mean, Bernie and Hillary people went at each other. You know, and, and I really do think that some of those skirmishes might have, you know, hurt Hillary's candidacy. I'm not, there's no blame going around. But my point is that it was a dogfight to get that bone. And people acted as if we were like standing armies representing four or five different people. And you could see that like people wouldn't even read an article. They wouldn't even get past the thumbnail and suddenly you would be accused of all these things that you weren't but that you were just bringing up. And I think that we might be fooling ourselves if we think that just because the election is over, that all that energy is going to go away. Oh, that's nice. This is subaqueous. This is slipstream. So I think as all of us, as all of us feel, you know, we want peace, we want easy goingness, and we either need to, or both, take care of the angst around us, or try to soothe the angst around us, or, and, we need to soothe the inner angst. And I think knowing yourself helps you match your actions to who you are. And that the closer that match, the less angst you feel. There's angst that's created by not having money for bills. There's angst that are created by people in your life sometimes. But I'm talking about that walking around angst. That somehow has convinced you in your rage that it's okay to go off on your friend from high school for six paragraphs because they broke their vegetarianism. Or to declare to the world that you're going to unfriend everybody that ever voted for Trump or that ever voted for whatever. I get it. I understand the rage. I get it. I don't think you're silly for feeling it. But I think the container of all that collective angst is how we got here. And 
It's not my side, your side, Democrat, Republican, it's our side. And there's a certain level of requisite civility for democracy to work. And so I think this personal struggle to find peace, to release tension that creates angst, is actually a service for the world, a service for this country. And I think it's the best place to start for grieving with this loss or celebrating this win. I was going to make a podcast about celebrating with grace. So if you're a Republican or a Trump supporter, I hope you'll celebrate with grace and realize that there are people that are upset, that are grieving, that are your countrymen. And that though they may not be anything like you, they are still bound to you by virtue of our community. And as we grieve, we breathe in and breathe out bitterness. We breathe in and we breathe out bitterness and we let go. It hurts, it stings, it tastes bitter, but it happened, it's done. And it's time for us to focus on what would our future hero say. If you can, wherever you are, I want you to take an audible breath in and then out. Audible breath in, out. thing that I want to leave you with is a trick that I, I learned from a Thich Nhat Hanh book or a lecture. And essentially, I hope I'm not misremembering this, I don't think I am, but essentially, in, effort, in an effort to forgive his abusive father, Thich Nhat Hanh had to imagine him all the way back to his innocence to the time before his father became the abusive person that Titnat Han knew him to be. And so he went all the way back until he was a child, remembering, meditating, visualizing, imagining in his mind his father as a child. And then as his father in that child form, he was able to hug his father. And that in that hug, there was forgiveness and understanding. And so I know this is a little bit hard, but I think it would be fun for us to visualize us as an entire country of people 
in a big field on a sunny day, all at the stage of our most innocent self. Running around a bunch of kids, you know, maybe that whatever the friendliest non-violent age of kids could be, just running around hoping that the teacher doesn't come out and ask, tell us that we got to go back into school. And we're running around with each other and we're giggling and we have no sense of politics at all. We have never heard of a policy. We've never even heard of racism. We've never heard of elitism. We don't know what judgment is for ourselves or for other people. We're just there with them and we're a cowboy one minute. And in this day, that idea that we could get all of this together and just be a bunch of kids and hang out seems so naive, but what if we just need to believe a little bit harder? And what if this setback was meant to just stir up extra energy to keep going forward? So I like, however cheesy it is, I like this open field idea. Thank you for listening to the Future Hero Podcast. My name is Baxter. If you dig what I do, you can like it, share it, follow, comment. Thank you very much. I'll see you next week.